as we've as we've gone through the years, uh, Marcus and myself had realized that to answer the question of what it means to be a disciple is very difficult. And in fact, if if you are into reading of any kind and ever tried to find a book on this, you you can find a lot of different books, and each of them has come up with a different answer. And uh, Maybe because of both of us having a critical nature about ourselves, but we, we thought they all were wrong. <laughs> and, and so we tried to come up with the best way to explain it, especially coming from our position as Lutheran Christians. And uh, what we realized and what always felt so off to us is that we oftentimes try to describe what it means to be a disciple by what we do. And a lifetime of experience has taught me that that is hopefully not how I am to be judged. And then looking at my life does not give a clear and a simple answer to what it means to be a disciple. So if it is not by what we do, then where does it begin? How should we be called a disciple? About the same time as asking this question, I heard a story of a young man who had came to his pastor. And he had sat, as many of us do, in, in pew Sunday, in chair Sunday after Sunday, <laughs> hearing repeatedly the truth of the gospel, that he is someone who has been saved by a God who has died for him. That he is someone who is destined for resurrection because he has a Christ that is resurrected before him. And he walked away with asking the question, what does this possibly mean for my day to day? Why is it that the story of Christ having died for him did not reach fully into the depths of his interaction with his friends? Why did it, in sitting in front of the TV watching football, come to mean absolutely nothing to him in that moment? Why is it that Easter Sunday seems so loud and boisterous, but every other Sunday and every other day after that, the resurrection is far from his mind? Hardly. Hardly was joy raptured into his heart by this gospel message. Any of us that have spent a long time in the faith has had that same question come to mind. Any of us who have struggled and gone through the times of doubt, which all of us have had, whether we are honest or not, have asked that same thing. To what purpose is this all about if it does not meet my day to day? But the truth is, is that we have often asked that question and we have tried to find answers to it in many different places. As we have just come out of one of the longest sermon series any of us ever could know, the Ten Commandments. As we were talking about what it means to have an idol and to worship other gods, we found that we were able to find our hearts searching after so many different things. 
and being unable to connect what it is Christ has done with our daily life, we have searched and we have found so many ways to fill that portion of our life. That if Christ will not answer, who am I for me to dictate my daily living, maybe my identity as an American can do it. Maybe my identity as a Seattleite or a Northwesterner can do it. Maybe, maybe it's actually my identity as a father. I can throw myself all into that. I can, I can fill my time with that and approach my work and my living and everything else by just me being a dad or a husband or a wife or a mother. Or maybe, maybe it's actually in the way I see myself as a worker. How I spend my time every day. Letting that be the thing that answers the way I live my life and how I make all my decisions. I will dare not leave my work, either physically or mentally, until I am satisfied with what has happened till I feel proud in my identity as that worker or as that stay-at-home mom or as that retired person or volunteer. But Scripture has told us something so dramatically different from that. That this Jesus who had come so long ago and who had called out to the world to stop thinking of themselves in the way that they were used to doing. Stop thinking of yourself as someone who is here to gain God's honor. Stop thinking of yourself as someone who is called an Israelite, or Jewish, or a Gentile. Even stop thinking of yourself as someone who is considered a master or a slave. Or even a male or a female. But start thinking of yourself as a child of God. Because in Christ, in His death, in His resurrection, He has not stayed distant. But by those two things, He has come as a wrecking ball into your life bringing death to our old selves, bringing death to our identities that we have cherished and we have held on to with dear life to bring us something new, to call us His, to bring us a new identity, a disciple, someone that Christ has called into His love and into his life. So we hear from our reading earlier today that comes to us out of Paul, Christ Jesus is the one who has died. More than that, he was actually raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall dare separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall take us from Him? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, as it is written? All things, all things 
We are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. If I am to look at my life as a father or as a husband, and certainly, as you all know, as a pastor, I am hardly a conqueror. But in Christ, the sins that so easily entangle, the death that may be my future, the illness, the disease, all things that I face shall be conquered. This is the starting place for our discipleship. Now, as in all good things, discipleship is complicated. Complicated enough to use PowerPoint. (laughs) Now, we realize that how we often see our identities is actually in our practices. I'm a pastor because that's what I do. I'm a father because that's where I've been placed and I have to feed children at night. I'm a husband because I've made a vow to be a husband. And so I use those practices to call my identity. But in reality, in Christ, our identity comes first. And that identity actually sets for us our values which then leads how we organize and practice things in our life. We do not set our practices first, but rather they are founded in our identity and the values that show that identity. So first we decided that the way Christ speaks about us in our identity is that we are people who are loved. And you've experienced this in your baptism. You've seen this in his death and his resurrection. And we are ones who are living. Since then, Christ has risen for us. We shall rise and have life abundantly. To our values. That the values of the Christian faith are lived in worship and in community together. And that comes into our practices of devotion, repentance, and vocation. Things that reach into our lives individually, but that are lived out together in community with one another. So this will be our roadmap for the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks, not as long as nine, as we discuss it. But today, we look at and we talk about love. And what does it mean to be loved? Peter Gabriel, the singer-songwriter of wonderfulness, has a book that's called The Book of Love. And the very first words of this song are, The Book of Love is long and boring. You can heartily pick up the thing. It's full of statistics, facts, and figures. And sometimes the way we discuss and we talk about love is just exactly that way. That love is something that is uh, either an emotion. And so that we are able to judge our love by our emotions or we are able to discuss love 
as the way in which we perform it for each other or with each other. So that then as we grow old, what we once used to describe love is gone. And so then therefore is love. But this is a terrible understanding of the book of love. This is a terrible description of what love can actually be. We know what love is. Love has not just come to us, it's been shown to us. It is shown to us in the way that Christ has given himself over. So what it means to be loved is to have someone who has given over everything there is for you. So for you, Christ has died. For you, he stopped breathing. For you, he bore scars. For you, he took the weight of your sin and collapsed under its pressure. For you, has someone already died? There is no greater love than this, that a man should lay down his life for another. And for you, that has already happened. So as his name was placed on you in your baptism, as his name comes to you as he has come into this world, for those reasons you are now called love. And this, this is our first identity. Let that come against the identities that you hold today. May it be set to the side, all those others, and let love be our first triumph. So often we judge our identity, not even just the offices that we hold, but the way we want people to perceive us. So we spend time in the way we fashion ourselves, which then dictates how we spend our money, which then comes into the way we perceive others and the way they are dressed and appear. We like to consider ourselves in the way that we are able to accomplish. So our first identity must be an accomplishment. The number of degrees that we might have, the intelligence that we possess, the functions and abilities we have in our different works. But when we hold these things in our identity and they are our first things, we find ourselves and our lives full of anxiety. We find ourselves quickly in depression. We realize the ways in which we are never actually able to reach up into the identity that we have set for ourselves. But stop setting identities for yourselves. And let the gospel do it for you. Because in Christ, you've already been given one. A beloved child of God. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead and the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. This newness of life includes a new identity. So the question must still remain. Now that we have this new identity, 
Now that we have removed ourselves out of these places that are full of our worry and our anxiety, the rules and the regulations of life that we have set on ourselves and moved into a new one of love, what does it look like? How is it lived out? And how does it reset the values of our life? Here we see in 1 John 3 that the love of the Father has come to us as His children. And for this, the world cannot even understand us because it doesn't understand Him. But beloved, we are God's children now. So the questions I pose to you as you think about who you are in Christ. Is Christ first in your life? Is He able to dismantle all the other identities that you have set for yourself? When you think of yourself, are you able to remember that you are loved by Him? We started off with the question that the young man was asking his pastor. What on earth does all of this that happened so long ago mean to me right now? The answer is actually contained in love. Because in Christ we see a love that is able to break through the years. A love that is so powerful that it is able to establish and set the mountains in place. A love that is so powerful and so strong that it is able to drive somebody to give over everything that anybody could ever give. A love that is so strong and so powerful that it moves boulders in front of tombs because even death, even the tomb, could not hold it back. A love that is so strong and so powerful that it is the same today as it was yesterday. That age does not weather it, but maybe even makes it grow stronger. A love that is so different that it doesn't have the stages of newness and honeymoon and retirement. A love that is so strong that it doesn't have just one vocation it enters into but all the ones that we can ever possess. A love that was shown to us so long ago, 2,000 years, and a love that has come to us today. A love that is in Christ. A love that is so strong that it becomes our very breath, our very life, our very person. What does it mean to be a loved child of God? It means to be His. It means to see that all we come across are things that Christ has already come to and gone before us in. That every suffering, every temptation, every nakedness, everything that would dare to try separate us from us, He has already gone towards and gone past. That every time a word of hate or word of discouragement, every time an anxiety creeps into our mind, every time a feeling of loss or hopelessness comes around, we see the ways in which His love has even beaten that back. 
It means that every time we see ourselves, the sinners that we may be, we see someone who is still called love. Battered and bruised, but love. That's who a disciple is. That's who you are. Every time the word of forgiveness comes to you on a Sunday or in a good word from a friend, that's who you are. Every time you sit before another person struggling to understand or love them, you are still that loved child of God. Every time you have failed and given in to that temptation or that struggle, you are still that loved child of God. In that, let us begin our new life daily. Let us set ourselves in such a way that this identity becomes the way in which we put ourselves in the world, resisting temptation, pulling away from those things that dare to take us from God and stand firm in the knowledge. Beloved, we are God's children now. Amen?